Welcome to the Learning Scientist Podcast, a podcast for teachers, students, and parents about evidence-based practice and learning. This podcast was funded by the Wellcome Trust and listeners like you. This episode's patron is Josh Fisher. His work in mathematics instructional design has benefited immensely from learning more and more about the science of learning. A great thing about science is that it belongs to everyone. Josh has created a number of free mathematics lesson apps for middle school based on the science of learning. Gazinta Math lesson apps can be used at school, at home, or both. They include video instruction, interactive modules, worked examples, instructor notes, and the key, a design that provides retrieval practice and monitors students' practice so that they revisit material after calculated delays. Everything, including links to more information, is available at gazintamath.com. If you like our podcast and want to support our efforts to spread the science of learning, please check out our Patreon, where we're posting exclusive content for our supporters. You can also rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on iTunes to show your support. We are here in London with Rena Lai. And Rena, if you could just introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and your work. Sure. So I am a first year PhD student at the University of Cambridge. Um, I, my background is in psychology, but I'm currently at the Faculty of Education. Um, so I specialize in psychology within education. Um, what department are you in? Um, I'm in the Department of Education but they have different roots within the Department of Education. I'm currently at the root of psychology. And so your aim is to get a PhD. That's right. And so what what are you hoping to do with your PhD? Do you have any idea of what you want to do or are you still kind of playing with that? So I think it relates back to my master's, which I also completed at Cambridge with the same um, root and same specialty. Um, during my master's, I focus more on executive functioning and metacognition and I can talk about a little bit about why I changed that my research direction but I'll begin with talking about my previous work on executive functioning and metacognition so basically um, last year when I was doing my master's I was looking at the differences between executive functioning and metacognition as well as their relationship so what really distinguishes EF, executive function, or metacognition, because they do seem quite similar. They're both higher cognitive domains. Um, they're both linked to the prefrontal cortex, and they're both established in the literature to relate to different academic outcomes. So I set out to look at how they predict different academic outcomes. And if you just, for you know, listeners who maybe aren't aware of the definitions or are maybe coming from backgrounds where sometimes we define different terms in, in different ways with different backgrounds. So if you want to maybe just give a very brief sort of applied sort of your working definition of executive function and metacognition, and then we'll go from there. Yeah. So executive functioning is an umbrella term that entails a set or a variety of neuropsychological processes, such as working memory, cognitive inhibition, uh, cognitive flexibility, and planning. And metacognition is basically a cognitive domain that is concerned with how we think about our own thinking and how we regulate those thinking to maximize learning. 
in a context of education. And then, um, so, you know, someone who's higher in executive functioning and higher in metacognition is someone who's going to be able to plan ahead and space, maybe if they know to space out their practice so that they can learn more in the long run, that sort of that sort of thing. Exactly. They have a lot of implications within um, learning and education. For example, um, if a child wants to do multiplication, um, they would need working memory. They would have to remember what they have done. They might have to do some summations and divisions before they work on multiplications. And that's for those more complicated um, math problems that they have to solve. In the context of a classroom, if a teacher talks about different topics in a lesson and a child has a question, instead of just shouting out the question, you would have to have inhibition to stop your impulses and to plan when is the best time to ask your question. And remember what the question was and what the purpose Exactly, and that is where working memory comes in. So all these factors within executive functionings are quite relevant to learning. So you said you were working on looking at the relationship between executive functioning, metacognition, and educational achievement, educational outcomes? Yeah, that's correct. Um, So for outcomes, we looked at arithmetic, vocabulary, uh, verbal reasoning, and nonverbal reasoning. So it's it's quite a nice picture to look at because um, previous literature or studies, they focus on one outcome or two outcomes, and we really wanted to look at different reasoning skills as well as um, the traditional outcomes that we measure in schools. Yeah, so what did you find in, was that your master's work you said? That's correct, that, that was my master's work last yeah. year. So what did you find? It was quite interesting because we found that executive functioning and metacognition have some shared contribution as well as some unique contributions to academic outcomes. Well, first of all, we found that executive functioning and metacognition do not predict vocabulary for some reason, but it seems that executive functioning predicts better in arithmetic and nonverbal reasoning, whereas metacognition predicts better for nonverbal uh, verbal reasoning. Okay, okay, that's interesting. And when you say vocabulary, you mean just the number of words? Yeah. Cool, so then what are, what are you working on now? So my research direction um, have shifted a bit because, well, I've always been interested in how different cognitive domains predict academic outcomes and what are the factors that um, help children succeed in school. And the time between when I finished my master's and the start beginning of my PhD, I volunteered at a robotic camp, which really wanted to promote scientific reasoning skills. So is robotic camp just a summer camp for kids? It was a winter camp, but it is a holiday camp. Great. For kids, how old were they, roughly? They were about 8 to 10. Oh, okay. That sounds fun. It was really interesting. They were absolutely loving it. Yeah, so so the camp changed your trajectory a little bit. I think so, because in the camp, um, I realized that a lot of things that I had studied and I had considered in the past in terms of research were, cri- were quite... Um, uh, there, there were skills and abilities that we, we, we consider in education, but I think that education nowadays have a broader meaning, um, and I think that educators are now recognizing the importance of 21st century skills, mm-hmm. and those skills are, are skills that we might not have predicted to be important, but they are going to be important. And so this had led me to study 
something called the computational thinking skill. And that's a 21st century sort of skill. It is deemed to be a 21st century skill. How would you, just for those who, who maybe don't know, how would you um, explain what computation, computational thinking? That's right. Um, so maybe I'll talk a bit about what it is not, mm-hmm. and then I'll talk about what it is. Um, so computational thinking is not thinking like a computer. In fact, it is very much about how humans think. Computational thinking skill is also not about programming or coding, um, which is a current myth in education because a lot of teachers hear about computational thinking skill and they equate that to programming. Being able to program something. Exactly. Well, while programming could be an end product to computational thinking, um, it is not what computational thinking is. Um, Computational thinking is also not an extra course that we should should teach and students should learn. It should be integrated into um, different subjects across domains. Um, It also does not require a computer, although a computer could assist computational thinking. So is it is it sort of like logical thinking? Right, so now it brings me to what computational thinking is. Computational thinking thinking is a set of cognitive processes that help us formulate a problem and devise a solution in a very effective manner. So you can see it as a subset of problem-solving skill, but it is a specific problem-solving skill. Um, So it involves quite a few cognitive processes or concepts or practices, um, depending on what terms you like. So it it includes uh, decomposition, abstraction, algorithm, and debugging. And I'm just going to talk about what they mean. Um, Decomposition is basically the process of breaking down a complex or a big problem into smaller and manageable problems. Mm -hmm. So it's very good when students are trying to to, to solve a very complex problem. For example, a complicated multiplication problem, you can put them into subsets or fragments to solve, and then in the end put them together, you have the answer. And we have abstraction. Abstraction is basically just identifying the core characteristics and filter out the non-relevant information while you're solving a problem. And it's an example for that would be you go into a history class and you have to do a research project and you have to search for, let's say, the Silk Road in China, but you really want to focus on solving the question you have in your mind. And you don't want to go to the Victorian era or other historical events and you really want to focus on what you set out to do. And that's abstraction. And next we have algorithm, which is devising a sequence of steps in order to solve a problem and arrive at a solution. And a very nice example for that is recipe or cooking. Um, let's say we want to make a brownie, what are the steps that take us to making a perfect brownie instead of a liquidy brownie or a rock brownie? Um, and debugging is basically identifying and correcting errors in in the process of problem solving. So in the context of coding, it would be you know, you write algorithms and then you click enter and the thing that you set out to do does not come out. And then you go back to your code and you see where you make the mistake and you correct that. Um, in a more neutral, a general example would be um, receiving your 
answers from an English exam, and let's say it's a vocabulary exam where you got a wrong answer, and you would just spell out to yourself and see where you spelled it wrong. You correct it. So it's basically、um, correcting your mistakes and recognizing them and evaluating them. And as you can see, all these processes are quite general. So you really get the sense that oh, this is not just specific to programming or coding at all. In fact,、um, when I talk to teachers about it. They would tell me, "Well, this is what my students do anyway," and that's exactly true, and that's probably right、um, because they can be applied in so many contexts. Yeah, it sounds like problem solving. It sounds like problem solving, except、um, it's tailored to a very specific set of problem. So problems that are probably more ill-defined rather than well-defined. It's a big, a huge area, whereas this is sort of drilling down a little bit and talking a little bit more specifically. And yet, it's still, it's not so specific that you're just talking about using computers or even just talking about, you know, making decisions about how to repair something, which is very non-computer.、Um, but But sort of in the middle. I like that. Exactly, but I, I think the beautiful part of it is that it's with and without technologies,、mm-hmm. so it is a human thinking skill. But you can also gain support from technologies, and I think computational thinking skill really become a really relevant thinking skill in the twenty first century, especially because you you now see、um, six months or one year old playing with their. Mom's cell phone. You see,、um, children being very、um, literate in digital world, and they are absorbing a lot of different informations every day through technologies. And when you combine this type of thinking skill with technologies, I think that's a beautiful. Equation or formula <laughs> to something that they, they can create. Yeah. So your current work, you're looking at computational thinking and the way it relates to educational achievement.、Um, so currently, I'm not working on that specifically,、um, and I will tell you why. Because I did set out <laughs> to look at computational thinking skills and how it relates to other types of thinking skills and how it relates to different academic outcomes. And well, you're in research, so you know that when we set out to do something like that, we need a good assessment.、Right. We need a good measure. And so, through my、um, literature review, I realized that there hasn't been a very good assessment for computational thinking, and that's because most of the assessment currently are tailored to. Uh, programming environments, and so it does not really match up with how it should be operationalized or how it is operationalized as a cognitive、um, processes or、uh, thinking skills. So you're basically measuring something in one very narrow context, and it's not representative of what it looks like across the board. Yeah, I think you're right. So that had led me to、um, focusing. On computational assessment. So you're just trying to figure out how do we even measure this thing in a in a child who's you know working in the classroom and able to solve problems. And I imagine you're trying to break it down into those those four pieces that you talked about, because it sounded like students might be able to be they might be strong in one or two of the areas, but then maybe have difficulties in in one or two of the areas. Exactly, and I think that this is something that we haven't currently. It has not been done yet, and I think it should be done. So I do, I do hope that、um, 
through the assessment, we could help teachers and students to identify cognitive strengths and weaknesses in those domains within computational thinking skills. And I think that an assessment does not necessarily have to be a research tool, but rather something more formative that could tell teacher um, or student how they could improve. Yeah, and once you're able to sort of measure this thing and identify it, and you can start to then explain how it's related to these different pieces, even looking at how you might develop those skills outside of just that programming domain. Because when you say computational thinking, I mean, I'm a cognitive psychologist, and I do immediately, when you say computational, start thinking about computers. And I think the term debugging sounds very computer-like to me, even though I know that our minds do not work like computers, and the computer is a model that that doesn't uses you know specific algorithms that are different from the way humans think. Um, and so I, I can see how that would happen, how you'd start to immediately think computer science as opposed to sort of gen- more general thinking. Exactly. I think, well, the word debugging seems very context dependent, um, like you said. But the way I see debugging is essentially another way to see metacognition. It's not to say that they're the same thing, but if you think about metacognition, it's about thinking about your own thinking and regulating them with strategies and monitoring. And the essence of debugging is similar to that in that you're also evaluating um, the way you're solving a problem and you try to identify them and you try to correct them to arrive at a solution. So. I think the word debugging could be quite, um, how should I put it? it? It could be quite misleading, or if you if you don't see, uh, if you don't want to see computational thinking in a very context specific way, mm-hmm. but in the end, I think it's it's a strategy, a cognitive tool to help us um, go back to see what we have done wrong in the process of solving a problem. Yeah, and so you've talked a little bit about what this assessment might be able to do in terms of applied value and research value. Where do you think your research is going to go? Or you, I know you're only a first year PhD student, you still have some time, but if you've thought a little bit about where you'd like to go with your program of research. Right, um, so my aim, my ambitious aim, is to really apply the assessment to both research contexts and to schools. Um, Because like I said, initially I set out to study computational thinking skills in relation to other thinking skills that I'm interested in. And I haven't been able to do that because I needed an assessment. So I guess the first thing that I really want to do is, well, after, you know, testing the validity and reliability and all the psychometric uh, properties is to use it for my own research. Um, the next thing is that I hope that it would be useful for teachers who are teaching computing education or even those who are integrating computational thinking skills into their classrooms. Yeah, that's great. And so if you had sort of one thing that from your you know, background and your area of research and work that you think teachers, students, and or parents might want to take away, sort of the biggest important applied thing, what would that be? Um, 
it could be a quote that that I really like and that really inspired me. I can share that with you. Basically, it says education should prepare young people for jobs that do not yet exist, using technologies that have not yet been invented to solve problems of which we are not yet aware. And I think that's a very strong statement, and it's very inspiring as well to me as a researcher, and probably to those who are educators and teachers, because. As people who are really passionate about learning and learning sciences and education, we we are naturally inclined to help students achieve, and not in the short run, but we're looking at the long term how they can grow up as a successful person who can adapt to the di- digital world and technological economy, which our be- our world is becoming, and I think that would be my. My my message is just to familiarize and introduce what computational thinking is to educators, and so they can bring the concept、um, and its and its underlying、um, and its and its underlying meaning to the classrooms, and so students really get the sense of what it is and how they can use it in their daily lives. And it sounds like it's something that. Kind of does prepare students for future things that we haven't even conceptualized yet. I think so, and even in the present, I mean, students are going to eventually encounter so many novel problems,、um, even more complex than they they had predicted, because our world is getting even more complicated and complex every day. And I think that to prepare and equip our students for the future is to give them. A good thinking skill that could allow them to be creative、um, and be innovative and be successful. Great. Well, thank you so much for for joining me today. Thank you. It's my honor. The Learning Scientist Podcast is funded by the Wellcome Trust and listeners like you.